0: Romans chapter 1. Now over the past several Sundays we've been talking about the fruit of the lips, a.k.a. our speech. And so we've talked about uh, various ways in which we can bring God glory uh, using our speech. And and really we kind of, as we launched off into uh, this mini-series, we started with Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. And so this is what it says, Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God... That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledges His name. And so we we started uh, with that, we kind of launched off into this mini-series, the fruits of the lips. And so here we are um, with our third topic today. But as we continue, uh, just a reminder that there is uh, things that we can do in our life that do bring God glory. And there's things in which we can say that bring God glory. And so really, as we kind of explore our theme for this year, uh, designed for His glory, that was one of the questions that we had. All right, if, if there is such thing as the fruit of the lips, what are ways in which we can bring God glory with our speech, with our tongue, with our lips? And so we looked at, first of all, the fact that God is truly worthy of our praise, God and God alone. If we are putting anything next to God in our praise, we have things mixed up and confused. Really, God is here, and everything else is down here. And so God is worthy of our praise, and that's what we started off with. We talked about the fact that we are to worship God, and when we worship God, for truly who He is, it brings Him glory. And then we also, last week, we went and explored the the book of, of James, and James talks a lot about uh, the tongue, and it gives a lot of like things not to do about the tongue, uh, but then it also gives some positive things, things that you can do with your speech, with your tongue that brings him glory. And so we looked at three things last week: the idea that prayer brings God glory, that giving thanks brings God glory, and then confessing our sin brings God glory. And really, when we use our lips in these ways, it draws us closer to God, strengthens our faith, and brings Him glory. And so when we think about using our lips, our speech, our tongue, it can bring Him glory. But on the other side, if we don't use our speech correctly, it can actually bring Him disgrace. And sometimes Christians say some things that are not becoming of Christians and it gives really Christ a bad name. And so um, as we think about uh, giving God glory, we ought to make sure that these things are part of our life. Prayer, thanksgiving, and confessing our sins. But we've really left out one really important way we could bring God glory, and this could be very well the most important way we can bring God glory using our tongue. Matter of fact, many people would say this is the absolute most important way we can use our speech to bring Him glory. And so what is that? What is the most important way we can bring God glory? Well, we use our tongue to spread the gospel. We use our tongue to spread the gospel. And so this is probably one of the greatest ways in which we can use our lips, our speech, and the ways in which it brings Him glory because when the gospel takes root in others' lives, they in turn bring God glory as well. And so it's no longer just my lips that bring God glory, but it's, it's multiplication When I share the good news of Jesus Christ, when I share the gospel and the gospel takes root in people's lives, more people bring God glory. And so many people look at this as the utmost, the most important way that we can bring God glory. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to start off with a couple of verses here because Paul does talk about this idea of the fruit of the lips and the fruit of sharing the gospel. And so, here in Romans chapter 1, we're just going to look at verses 13 through 15, and I'll have you stand out of respect for God's Word, give you an opportunity to stretch your legs before we uh, really dive into this topic. All right, and so this is, again, Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 13, and it says this, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. That I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also uh, who are in Rome. Let's go ahead and stop there and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you. Again, for an opportunity to start off our week in your word, to start off our week bringing you glory. Lord, as we think about this this topic of of the fruit of the lips and, and desiring to bring you glory through our speech, Lord, this topic of sharing the gospel is of utmost importance because truly the world is dying and going to hell today. And we have the message of reconciliation. We have the message that brings life. Thank you, Lord, for calling us. Thank you, Lord, for someone coming alongside of us and sharing the good news. That we might put our faith and trust in you. But Lord, we also pray that as your disciples, that we would in turn make Disciples, that we would in turn share that good news with others in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. So, Paul here in this uh, opening chapter, he, he's really talking to uh, the Romans, and his real desire is to go and visit uh, the church in Rome. And why? Well, in the church in Rome, he's he's heard about their faith. It is is something that is, has come across his mind that that, uh, and of course. Uh, we we're not talking about the time of, of internet and social media or even cell phones or landlines or, or even, I guess, I, maybe they had some type of mail system uh, there. But things did not travel the way that things travel today. And so the fact that Paul is hearing things means that what was happening in Rome was, is, a, is a big deal. And so Paul hears about their faith and, and so as in this, in this opening letter here... In chapter 1, he says, you know what? I have often thanked the Lord because of your faith. Then he says, I've often wanted to visit you because of all that I have heard. And then he really gives two reasons why he would want to visit Rome. One, for mutual encouragement. The idea is that I want to be encouraged by you, and I want to encourage you. I've heard so much about you, I'm sure I would be encouraged by being with you. Then the second reason, in which we just read, the second reason why Paul wanted to visit Rome was to be able to spread the gospel. Paul was a missionary. Paul was an evangelist. Paul wanted to share the gospel with those he came in contact with. And Rome was an important place in the world at this time. And so Paul had a strong desire to go and visit. And why? Again, here in verse 13, he points this out in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. And this idea is connected, I believe, both to the encouraging aspect, that he wanted to encourage them that they would bear more fruit, which is what we've been talking about, but then also that he would sow the gospel and that others would begin to bear fruit. So I believe there's two ideas in what Paul is talking about here as far as sowing or or reap some harvest among you now this is not the first time that the gospel is connected to the harvest all right we see it uh, in the gospels as well matter of fact one instance we see this is um when when uh, christ is speaking and it's found in matthew chapter 13 and it's the parable of the sower in matthew chapter 13 we see the parable of the sower and we have the four soils, right? Soil number one, the path. And the path doesn't have any soil. The, the gospel, as, as uh, Christ interprets what he means, the gospel falls on the ground and is taken up before it could ever take root. And then we have what? What's the next soil? The rocky soil. And there's a little bit of soil there, but not much soil there. And so what happens is the gospel takes root, and then it quickly dies. It doesn't have really strong roots. And then we have the third soil. What's the third soil? Well, that is the thorny ground. And of course, as Paul interprets what the thorny ground is, that's the idea that the gospel takes root, but then the hardships of life come in, and it sucks up the life or drowns out the life, and it dies. And then he gives that last soil, and what is that last soil? The good soil, the good soil. And so as, as his disciples asked for that interpretation, this is what Paul says in Matthew 20, uh, 13, 23. He says this, for as for, the, uh, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed, bears much, uh, he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. And so, so Christ says this, wherever the word of God, wherever the gospel takes root in people's lives, they yield what? Fruit. And of course, that's what we've been talking about. This idea of yielding fruit for the Lord, bringing God glory through our lives. And so when the gospel takes root, it bears fruit. And that's, uh, I guess, a little rhyme there, and I didn't even mean to make that. Where the gospel takes root, it bears fruit. And today we want to focus on the importance of sharing the gospel. Because when we share the gospel, again, uh, it's one way in which we can bring God glory. Because when the word of God or the gospel takes root in other people's lives, they too bear fruit. And so it's multiplication. It's not just my fruit that brings God glory. When I share the gospel, other people's fruit brings Him glory as well. And so what we want to do today is we, today we want to see three calls to the ministry of evangelism in the order of the events that happen. So in the order that they happen in the Bible so, the first event we read about is found in the Gospel of Matthew. It's often referred to as the Great Commission. And so, we open up uh, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Now, the Great Commission was the heartbeat of the early church and really is still the heartbeat of the New Testament church today. Matter of fact, in our church constitution... It, uh, the Great Commission is referenced, and so I pulled this right out of our church constitution. And this is found in Article 2 under the object, and it reads this. The object of this church is to provide a local base for the fulfilling of the Great Commission as found in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And so you'll find uh, this, the same wording here in, in many church constitutions. And so this is still really the heartbeat of the church, this idea of great commission. This is really the first time we see that there is some instruction given to the church, given to the disciples that were there present. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start here in Matthew 28, 16. Matthew 28, 16. And then we'll work our way to Matthew 19, 20. But notice first of all here in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples, let's see here, I can actually put it up on the wall. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, um, I should point this out, this word doubted here. Um, If you've ever uh, read uh, any of John MacArthur's commentaries, he points out the fact that, you know what, this shows that the word of God is truthful, He said because if there was anyone that was like our media today, uh, oftentimes they don't report the whole truth, they report what goes with their truth. And yet here we see even after Jesus Christ is resurrected and he's speaking to the disciples, and it's not just the 11 disciples, there's more disciples there as well, but notice some worshiped him, but some doubted. And so, really, if someone was going to write the word of God to make Christ really stand out as, as the only Messiah, they would have just scratched that out, that everybody that was there believed, but the word of God is truthful, and so it says that some doubted. And so, uh, John MacArthur points that out in his uh, commentary and study Bible. But in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so the very first thing we should point out is this idea of all authority. All right, and this is really all authority. It's not just authority on earth as we think about an earthly king. But it's an authority in heaven and on earth. And so it's all authority, and the authority reaches up to heaven, and it reaches down to earth. And notice, who has that authority been given? Be given to me, and who is me? Well, that is Jesus. So the very first thing that we need to acknowledge as far as the Great Commission is concerned is the power of the Great Commission is not based upon my words. It's not based upon your words. The power for the Great Commission comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he has the authority in heaven. He has the authority on earth. And he is working in lives. So we are not only given the mission to spread the gospel, we are given the power to spread the gospel through the power of Christ. Now let's look at verse 19. It says this Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, When you think about what is the command here, oftentimes we think about the command as what? Go. but That's actually the way in which we do the command. The command is actually right here, make disciples. That's actually the command. The go is kind of the implied. If we're going to make disciples, we got to go and make disciples. That's the implied statement. The command is to make disciples. And so the Great Commission is this. This is what Jesus Christ was teaching the disciples that were there present. And what we are still doing today, he says this. Those of you who are disciples of Jesus Christ, go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now I point out disciples of Jesus Christ because these are not disciples of Paul. These are not disciples of James. These are not disciples of of Peter These are disciples of Jesus Christ, and and we see that idea kind of flushed out in the very next verse. And so notice what it says in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this is not uh, some disciple of some pastor or some teacher or some missionary or some evangelist. And uh, sometimes we get caught up in this, and sometimes Christians, they, they follow around men in this world as if we are disciples of that person. But the Great Commission actually says that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. It says, go and make disciples. And so we ought to follow Jesus Christ. And of course, Paul said, follow me only as far as I follow who? God, Jesus Christ. And so truly that is the person we, which we ought to follow. And so Paul realizes that the power of the gospel rests on God. And he says this when he talks about not being ashamed. And this is Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then he gives the reason. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so he realizes, Paul understands, that the, the message that we communicate is not, there's no power in, in John, the power behind the gospel rests in God. You know what that means? That it's not up to me to convince someone to be a Christian. I know oftentimes that's what we think. Oftentimes we, we have this in our mind that what if I mess up when I share the gospel? What if they ask me some, some question and I don't know the answer to, and we, we act as if, It's up to us to save that person. But honestly, it's not up to us. We simply sow in water. It's up to God to change hearts. So the power of the gospel does not rest in me. The power of the gospel rests on Christ. And so Christians are simply God's walking advertisement of his amazing that's who we are. We are a walking advertisement of His amazing grace. And we're familiar with what advertisements are. When we watch TV or when we watch movies, and we're, I'm not even talking about the ads between the uh, the. the the, uh, what is it, uh, the game during the Super Bowl. I'm not talking about those. I'm just talking about the things that they implant in movies like whenever you see someone working on an Apple laptop and you see that little Apple logo on there. So we're, we're, we're understand this idea of advertisement and truly for some people in this world, the only glimpse they'll ever have of the Lord is us. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. They may never have an opportunity, or they probably will have an opportunity, but they'll never take the opportunity to really find out who God is. But we as Christians are a walking advertisement of His amazing grace. And so that first call to evangelism is that great commission. Jesus commissioned disciples of Jesus to make more disciples of Jesus. The second call we see in Scripture is the call to spread the gospel through missions and traveling evangelists. And so we're going to call this group the Set-Apart Christians. The Set-Apart Christians. And the reason why I use this uh, term, the Set-Apart Christians, is because uh, the Word of God uses uh, this term. And so notice how Paul references himself in Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, notice, set apart for the gospel of God. All right, Paul, as he looked at his life, he realized that he was a man who was set apart, that he was given an, a responsibility, an obligation, a mission. And that mission was to spread the gospel. And so we find that... Um, in this idea of being set apart as, as a Christian, in, 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 uh, or set apart as to share the gospel, in Acts chapter 13, we have the church of Antioch. This church is, is made up of, of uh, Gentiles, and, and their heart is burdened. Their heart is burdened for souls. They want to see more people come to Christ. And so here they are, they are, they are praying, and, and they are fasting, and they're searching out the Lord, and, and really this is their question, Lord, give us wisdom at how we can accomplish this. We want to share the gospel, not only here, but elsewhere. And, and in the middle of their prayer, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins to speak, and this is found in, in Acts chapter 13, and it says this, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work in which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. This is the idea of of people who are called not only to give the gospel in their community, but really to leave their community and share the gospel in other communities. And so this last year, we had the Frazier team come. So Jeremy Frazier, he shared the gospel, and and his group shared the gospel. And you know what, there were some elementary students that made a profession of faith. He got to share the gospel, and the gospel took root, and, and young people said, you know what, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We talked about Ellie this morning, one of our missionaries. Here she is in... Well, she's in the States right now, but, but she's normally in Brazil. And, and what is she doing? She is developing relationships. She's building bridges so that she might share the gospel. She left the comforts of the United States. God placed this call upon her life, set her apart, and took her to another country to share that gospel. And really, that's how we got our start here at Wilton Bible Church. At Wilton Bible Church, back in, uh, let's see, I have, I have the information right here. Back in 1932, Reverend William Graves and his brother, Reverend Arthur Graves, from Vallejo, had a series of two-week meetings in the Wilton Town Hall, which resulted in salvations. This is the, uh, the charter for our church. You know, this small group of Christians, they, they started to meet kind of unofficially. And so they, they met together and they, they worshiped together. And then in 1946, they decided, let's make this official. So after years of meeting as a church unofficially, the Lord moved this group of Christians to incorporate. And on April 26, 1946, the church, uh, the church came together together. And the church was called Central Community Bible Church, now known as Wilton Bible Church. And so on that that last slide there, those are all the names of the original members that started Wilton Bible Church. And here, and, and this document is actually framed in my office, but this is actually their desire. This was their desire in 1946. And really, it's still our desire today. And so we have, been, we have a rich heritage here at Wilton Bible Church. And really, we are still reaping the benefits of an evangelist, a traveling evangelist from Vallejo coming through and pr- preaching in our, in our small community. People got saved. A church was established. And now we get to reap that benefit even today. And so as we think about this idea of set apart, this is an important place. This is an important group. Because where the gospel takes root, it brings fruit. And we continue to see that fruit today within our church. Because that first call of evangelism is that great commission. Remember, Jesus commissioned disciples of Jesus to make more disciples of Jesus. And then we see that second call to evangelism, that group that is set apart for, um, set apart Christians, those who are set apart to leave their communities to share the gospel. And of course, that would include missionaries and traveling evangelists. That also includes uh, Christian school teachers and local pastors and elders who have been called to share the gospel in their immediate community and the community outside of Wilton. This brings us to the next call. The next call is the individual call, the call for all Christians to share the gospel. And so we find this in Romans chapter 1. No, wait, first of all, I need to uh, communicate this, uh, what, what Paul says in, in his opening statement in Romans chapter 1, he says this, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, and it's interesting that he uses the word obligation. It almost sounds like this is a requirement. And so, for some of us, we might kind of push away and say, we are obligated to share the gospel. This, the, uh, the word here in the Greek is literally to be in debt to God. It's debtor. And a matter of fact, I think that's what the King James uses Um, I am under, maybe, I I don't know exactly what it says, but when it uses that word obligation, the ESV in the King James, it used used the word debtor. And so when Paul looked at his own life, he looked at it in, in this way. God has done so much for me. He has saved me. He has forgiven me. And now I have the opportunity, I am obligated to serve him. I am obligated to share that message of reconciliation. And so, as a matter of fact, Paul goes on to say this in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, and this gives us, again, the idea of our individual call. It says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so Paul says this. The reason why Jesus Christ died on your behalf, the reason why Jesus Christ came back to life, is so that you could have life. And in that life, we wouldn't serve ourselves. In that new life that we would serve the Lord. And again, this brings us back to the idea of designed for His glory. We have been saved to bring Him glory. And so we are Christians. We have been called out of sin. We have been called to a Savior, Jesus Christ, to serve that Savior. As Paul says, we are no longer to live for ourselves. We are to live for the Lord And so as he continues on with this topic, he says this in verse 18. All of this is from God, who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so Paul says this, those who have been reconciled have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And this is the idea, this is what Paul is communicating as he communicates this to the church. We have been saved to share the gospel. There's a reason why we are speaking, there's a reason why we are breathing today. If we didn't have purpose when we got saved, we'd immediately be taken to heaven. But we've been left here, we've been left for a purpose. And that purpose is that we would make disciples That purpose that we would share that message of reconciliation. So Paul says, we have been reconciled to reconcile others. And then notice here in verse 19, that is, and Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So who has been entrusted with this message? It's us. It's us as Christians. It's us as the church. And in verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, who again is us, that is the church, that is Christians. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Yesterday I was mowing the lawn, and oftentimes when I mow the lawn, I, I put in my, my earbuds and, and I listen to... Um, Sermon audio, they have like a live stream, and you can listen to sermons and music. And, and I happen to uh, hear a testimony, and they normally don't do testimonies. Normally their are sermons or, or they're uh, music, or sometimes they even give like Christian news uh, from the world daily. And, and uh, anyways, there was this one time where it was, yesterday it was a testimony, and, and the testimony really touched my heart, and it goes right along with what we're talking about today. And so, this is not a personal testimony, but it is a personal testimony of a pastor. So, the pastor went on to say this. He said, you know, my, my wife um, uh, was going into the hospital and, and she needed a, a kidney uh, transplant. And so, uh, the, the waiting room was, was full. And so, uh, they, the hospital allowed them to use the pediatric uh, waiting room and and that was good because it was nice and quiet. There was nobody in there, and, and, and this pastor had uh, some kids anyways. And so uh, they used that waiting room. And, and the doctor came in and said, well, we don't know exactly what's going on, but it appears as if your wife's heart is not as strong as it was months ago. And so weighed down with just that burden, he he just wanted to be alone, and, and he asked a friend if he could take the, the kids out of the room, and, and he spent some time there just thinking and praying. His heart was, was burdened. He didn't know exactly what was, was happening. This was not necessarily those types of surgery that you could just put off. A kidney transplant needs to be done right away. And So just as he was spending some time and, and his testimony, and, and what he said was, Really, I just wanted to be alone. But then another family entered the room. And so uh, taking the opportunity, he said, you know, I didn't really want to, but, but I did it anyways, and, and I shared the gospel with the gentleman that was there, and the gentleman kind of dodged the questions, and he made it appear as if he was a Christian, and so I dropped it, and I went back to thinking and, and praying about the situation before me. And he said that that husband and and that wife and and the child, they left the room and and he was left with the grandmother. And the grandmother told the pastor, she said, you know what, my son is not a Christian. I know those things that he, he told you, he's lying, he's not a Christian. And let me just tell you, this morning I was praying that someone would share the gospel with. And so, uh, the, the pastor was kind of surprised by this. And, and so, when the gentleman came back into the waiting room, he, he took the initiative and, and he shared the gospel. And this is the testimony of, of the pastor. He said, it was almost as if God had opened up the heart of that gentleman. He was so ready now to hear the gospel. And the pastor said, it's not because of me, but it was through the prayers of that mother who faithfully prayed for their son. And God opened up the heart of that gentleman. And that, in that waiting room, that gentleman got saved. And so as the pastor is communicating uh, that, that, that uh, testimony, he said this. He said, you know what, there's some times in life where we don't want to share the gospel. And he said, this is one of the times in my life. I just really wanted just to be alone and to think through things. But you know, this man needed the gospel. And so he said, take those opportunities to share the gospel, even when we don't necessarily feel like sharing the gospel, because you never know when God's going to bring someone across your life. And as I, la- I, as I listened to that yesterday and And uh, I don't say by accidents, through providence. I wanted to share that with you because it touched my heart. How many opportunities have I, as a Christian, let just go by because I did not want to share the gospel. And yet people truly need the gospel. I have the message of reconciliation. You have the message of reconciliation. May we share the gospel with those around us. One of the greatest ways we can use our lips and speech is to share the gospel with others. The gospel is so extremely important that Jesus commanded, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then as the church was praying about how to accomplish that mission, the Holy Spirit said this, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work in which I have called them, that they might go and spread the gospel. And then Paul, under inspiration, taught this. Therefore, we, we as the church, we as Christians, are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so, as I look around I imagine that most of us, if maybe not all of us, have made a profession of faith. That we have said, you know what, I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But if you have not, or maybe you're just playing the game. Maybe you're saying, hey, look at all my fruit. But that's not really fruit at all. Those are empty fruits. If you say you're truly a Christian, but you're not truly a Christian, it is one of the most important decisions you can make in your life. Putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ is the most important decision we can make in our life. There's a second decision that is also very important. And that is sharing the gospel with others. You know, the gospel is not optional. The Bible says without the gospel we are separated from God for all eternity. Without the saving saving power of Jesus Christ, our sin condemns us. We need that reconciliation. So the gospel is not optional. The Bible says you must by faith be saved. And so in John 1, 12 it says this, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so friend, the greatest decision we can make in this life is to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But the next greatest decision we can make in our life is to share that good news with others, that they too would bear fruit. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you. First of all, we thank you for that message of reconciliation that was was shared with us. I think about my own personal testimony that, that it was when I was five years old and, and in children's church that the gospel was shared. Uh, with me and that I realized that I was a a sinner and that I needed Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior and I asked Him to be my personal Savior. And Lord, You saved me. there was someone in my life which was faithful to share the gospel and we pray that we also as Christians would be faithful to share the good news of Jesus Christ. The message of reconciliation, the way in which created man could have a relationship with their creator. And so, Lord, I know many times as Christians, maybe we become afraid. We're afraid that we might mess things up. We're afraid that we might not be able to answer the questions. But, Lord, help us to realize that the burden of of really changing lives is not on us. We're only to share the good news but really you are the one that creates new life. So help us to be faithful to make disciples. Help us to be faithful to share that message of reconciliation. May you continue to change lives around us. Lord, help us to bear fruit and to reap fruit for you. In Jesus' name, amen.